Have we decided that's a good name? That's a great name. My question is, how many people listening right now have just marathoned all of the episodes up until this point, and it's like four in the morning, and they've been listening to us for all this time? <laughs> and they missed the uh, the name of the show on the first... Yeah, yeah. First several episodes, and they're wondering how they missed it. Yep, on the, on the first, here it is. On the first 17 episodes... Yeah, wait, how many episodes have we done? I think this is number four. I think it is number four. I was just saying that for the people that weren't paying attention, and I was going to make them think that they missed a bunch of episodes. Right, but I'm the people not paying attention. Oh, oh, I see, I see. I got you. All right, well, this week we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, number two. Yes. Dead Man's Chest, is that what it's called? Dead Man's Chest. Which has multiple meanings if you're paying attention. Ah, it does. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Very in fact, good. Beckett, I think, has a line where he says there's more than one chest of value in these waters. And anyone who's paying attention gets to gets to sort of grin and, and you know, feel really intelligent for about three seconds. <laughs> or if you're like me and didn't catch that, you feel like an idiot for a couple of seconds. <laughs> I, I do sort of remember the, the quote, but I didn't <sighs> catch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Beckett's got uh well he, he knows what's going on in the oceans anyway. Beckett is, is a very compelling character, but we'll get to that in, in good time. Uh so uh with our opening scene here mm-hmm. um starts off with the the wedding that's being rained on, which right. kind of gives you that like icky feeling to begin with because you see the wet music on the music oh, stand sitting outside yeah. and the, the teacups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the teacups, and it looked like handwritten music. Teacups full of water, and Elizabeth is standing out there in her wedding dress, which I don't understand, but it's just like, oh, it just kind of makes my skin crawl seeing all that stuff just sitting out in the rain like that. Well, I mean, I imagine that if the person you are about to marry is now being arrested by the tyrannical government, the the state of your wedding dress is sort of lower on your list of priorities. Well, yeah, but she was just standing out there at the end of the aisle in her dress, and then she drops her bouquet and runs back to him, realizing it's, he's just been arrested. It's a it's an emotional thing. I don't know. And it, it, <laughs> it's the Caribbean. I think these sort of storms just come and go, like, you know, in a matter of an hour, half an hour, which you see it clear up right away after after the dramatic uh, arrest of Will and Elizabeth. So you'd think they'd have been better prepared for that wedding. So just, uh, I guess, keep that yeah. in mind if you ever get married in the Caribbean. Uh, you know what? As soon as I decide to get married in the Caribbean, I'll let you know. Okay. Well, <laughs> that would be excellent. And I will remind you not to set up everything if there's a storm coming. Um, and <laughs> shortly after that, you see all of these soldiers coming ashore. And I've, I was a little confused because it seems like a lot of them are working for the East India Trading Company, who is apparently the ones arresting Will and Elizabeth. Yes. With the British government's permission, I guess. So yeah. The, it, the line between East India Trading Company and British Royal Navy sort of becomes more and more blurred hmm. and i'm not a great person when it comes to history is that a historical thing you know i don't really know i uh outside of the realm of the movie i couldn't tell you much about this time period and i 
I think that that's fine because I don't necessarily know that it's even supposed to be an exact sort of transfer. But I know that in the in the setting of the movie, that's definitely what's happening. Like the the East India Company has become so rich and well connected that they are basically the government. Hmm. It seemed like um, like they were still trying to smooth things over with the government, so that's why I wasn't one hundred percent sure. But anyway, yeah, there's well, that scene. There's more 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 of that in the third movie where where it's very much they're the same thing. In the second movie, they're just very influential. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's the scene where all the soldiers are rowing ashore, and there's a horse mm-hmm. standing in one of the boats. And uh, if you watch the writer's commentary, they talk about how. Uh, they had wanted to write this into a movie for a long time, and they finally convinced Gore Verbinski, the director, to put it in a movie. So there was apparently several days of training getting this horse ready to ride in a rowboat to ride ashore, and the horse is only on screen for probably 10 or 15 seconds at most. It's but, pretty impressive, though. It looks yeah. very, very uh, natural. Yes, and I can think of so many ways that that could have been done without actually putting a horse in a rowboat, because I can't imagine <laughs> that that was any small feat. Right. But uh, it's just one of those cool things when you know that it's uh, done for real. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the next question I have written down is, how did Jack end up in that? Turkish prison. I think it was a Turkish prison from what they were saying in the... Uh... Um, uh, you know, I've always kind of assumed that he went in there on purpose in order to get the information that he comes out with. Though mm. the exact details I, are, are not explained in the movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's a good point. He just <laughs> went in and found somebody that's got the information uh, mm-hmm. and then escaped Count of Monte Cristo style in a coffin. Yes, and the the shot of the the shot of the shot that Jack takes up through the the casket that he's floating in, just absolutely wrecking the bird, and then his little his his hand with the pistol looking around. Yeah, just I love gets that. me every time the the smoking pistol, which of course only has one shot, but he has it up yes. at the ready just in case. Oh, that was... Have you? So I want to. I want to talk about this sort of throughout the movie, but it, this is the first time that it comes up. But throughout the whole first movie, we we make a big deal about Jack having this one this pistol with one shot that he's only going to use on Barbosa, and of course he he does at the end. Um, and then for the the other two movies, anytime Jack has a loaded pistol, it's about thirty seconds until he's going to shoot it at something. He's just going. <laughs> he does a lot of shooting in this movie. It's yeah, just, it's all that pent up aggression from and it's the years and, and it's years. not at like people. It's it's largely mostly the monkey. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I think that's why they keep it around because there's one point where he says, "Bring me that monkey. I need to shoot something." Um, I had a point I was going to bring up. Oh. Um, so you seem to know a lot more about this than I do because you've brought it up before. Um, when Will is talking to Beckett, um, and asking him Mm -hmm. how he knew Jack and he said, uh, we've had a brush in the past or whatever. And we each left our mark on the other and he lifts up the pirate brand. And then Mm -hmm. Will says, what mark did he leave on you? It's never explained. (laughs) And you have a lot more information on this than I have gathered from anywhere. So I guess what have you 
Where have you heard the idea of what the mark was? Well, okay, so so we see that the mark is is this pirate brand that uh-huh. we saw on Jack in like the first movie, and then I don't even remember where I was reading about some sort of theory or whatnot about what that mark that they're referencing is, um, and I don't think it's ever made clear in the movies what it is. I mean, maybe Jack just like gave him a scar or something in a previous mm-hmm. engagement or maybe it's a metaphysical mark of some sort of you know uh maybe a, a financial loss of, of mm. significant value mm. um it's it's really uh up to interpretation yeah it seems like it was dropped in as an easter egg for people in the know but i've seen all the movies and never mm-hmm. and up to that no, point there i know that two so I know that it's it's explained I think in a commentary somewhere that hmm. in in Jack's backstory he I think worked with the uh the East India Trading Company at one point. Really? Um or this this may be um the movie referencing a different legend of and and the reason he became a pirate was because he took a cargo of slaves that were being transported and set them all free. Hmm. Which is why um, he, which was considered an act of piracy because it was a loss to the company that he was shipping them for. Huh. And it's also why uh, Davy Jones says that he owes a hundred souls because that was how many he set free. Hmm. Well, Davy Jones wants, wants Jack, mm-hmm. and Jack wants to do a one-for-one trade, and then Davy Jones right. says that, that Jack is worth a hundred souls. Right, so I and think so it's it's it a parallel a a, to that. Hmm, it seems a bit of a stretch to me, but uh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Anyway, theory. yeah. To to be clear, these are not things that are explicitly laid out in the movies anywhere. This is mm. this is all sort of fan theory and ske- and speculation. Mm. Um, I have noted that in episode one, Davy Jones's locker is just kind of referred to as the deep part of the ocean, and Davy Jones mm-hmm. is just kind of the a mythical being that nobody believes in but then all of a sudden in episode two jack just takes for granted that this guy is real and everybody else is kind of like oh yeah david jones is real obviously well, well i mean jack would know for sure that he's real because yeah. we find out in the movie that he's already made a deal with davy jones yes yes jack would i don't know it just seems like that nobody believed him in the first episode and then all of a sudden everybody's like well yeah of course davy jones yeah, I think that if anything, that might just be a symptom of the movies, like the second two movies being added on later. The first movie was meant to be standalone, and then it was so successful that they sort of added the other two. Yeah. Yeah, they did talk about having to kind of retrofit stuff to work with the first movie because they didn't have any intention of making sequels, and then it blew up. Um mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to talk about, because Jack doesn't really seem to have much of a character arc in the first movie. In the second movie, he's, a, I think, a much more complex character. And he doesn't mm-hmm. know what he wants. And he's very vulnerable and not in control of the situation for most of the second movie. Which yeah, is for, for a good portion of the second movie, he, he keeps trying and it keeps yeah. failing. For the the first movie, he was totally in control of every situation. But the second movie, you can see that he is constantly questioning whether or not he's going to get away with what he's trying to get away with. 
Um, he's. I also don't like him as much from the second movie because he's uh, very manipulative of even the people that he has come to care about from the first movie. Uh, Will and Elizabeth and... Like, even if I was Mr. Gibbs, I'd be questioning what's going on, especially when, you know, Davy J... <laughs> when, when Jack tricks Will into going over to the Flying Dutchman and he's just <laughs> going to try to get Davy Jones to accept Will as uh-huh. payment. Uh-huh. And David or, and uh, Mr. Gibbs is standing there like, uh, I don't want to be a part of this and Jack is just kind of ribbing him trying to get him to to mm-hmm. say the lines like, "Oh, they must have run a, run aground on a reef." Mm-hmm. Uh I I'd have been questioning everything if I was Mr. Gibbs, especially then when they went to Tortuga to try to recruit crew members to satisfy the debt of 100 souls. Like mm-hmm. If they come up short, is he going to start selling off his current crewmates as well? It's like, sorry, Gibbs, here you go. Now, yeah. see, the way the way I see that is that Jack is Jack recruits, you know, the the fodder. We'll we'll call them uh, mm. in Tortuga, but I I don't think that his plan is ever to actually make that exchange because he's still actively sort of pursuing the chest and the key and trying to find mm-hmm. the, like that's his main goal is to instead of trading with Davy Jones, just just kill him. Yeah, but <laughs> but rather than going to Tortuga, why not use that time to try to find the chest rather than wasting it going to Tortuga? Unless he's, I, well, I don't know, feigning that he's playing along. He'd run out of uh, leads at the immediate moment, so he sort of... Well, and he needed to meet up with Norrington and Elizabeth, of course. Yes, well, for, somehow... for the movie he had to. Yes, <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. For the, he, for he the didn't point, know that. point of the script, he had to. Um, yes. who just both also happened to be in Tortuga at the same mm-hmm. time. Yes, um, because of a touch of destiny. Uh, yes, yes. A touch of screenwriting. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> a touch of destiny. We'll get into her. Um, I, they keep talking, they keep referencing this hurricane, which apparently yes. Norrington pursued them through trying to catch mm-hmm. Jack. Uh, between the first and the second movie, yeah, but yeah, never... Norrington has run, runs a first and second movies. Yeah, it. Uh, we uh, uh, we see him as the the commodore in in the British Navy in at the end of the first movie. You know, mm-hmm. he lets Jack go and says that he'll give him one day's head start, and then he shows up in the second movie having lost everything including the better part of his uh, sort of clean-pressed attire. <laughs> yeah, and, I was going to uh, say, he was still in his uniform and his very bedraggled wig, and he was just still mm-hmm. wearing this wig for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was kind of strange, but anyway, yeah, he was in. Yeah, he just, he's just a disaster. And so Norrington is, is actually one of my favorite characters throughout this series because he goes through such an interesting journey. Because, uh, you know, he's just an antagonist in the first movie. He's not the primary antagonist, mm. I would say. But he's de- he definitely represents sort of the Royal Navy, as well as being an unwanted love interest of Elizabeth. But we'll, I'll get to that later. I have a list. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I want to throw it now because I'll forget. I did like the line where he said something about your your latest fiancé is doing something, something. I can't remember what he was referencing that Will was up to. But I thought that was funny. Your latest fiancé. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they never, they never really explained the hurricane. Um, uh, yeah. In the uh, I mean, 
I don't think that, yeah. that has to happen on screen. No, not necessarily. I just, I don't know. I guess I wanted more details and they didn't give them to me. Um, well, that's because every movie should be a book. Well, yeah, that's true as well. <laughs> um, in the writer's commentary, they were talking about how uh, they liked that line because I guess what they had been through was kind of a hurricane. The crew, uh, mm-hmm. what they had been through to make the movies was kind of a hurricane. So I guess they liked that. Um, that is kind of funny, actually. So then we come to the scene where Jack is trying to plot a course to somewhere and he's out of Rome. And so he has to go below deck to try to mm-hmm. find the last remaining rum that they have. And they have a uh, a funny but <laughs> almost on the nose hourglass reference when he pulls out the the uh, bottle and the sand drains out. And then bootstrap Bill Turner is like, time's up, Jack. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, even though it was it's a little a, bit. It's a very good scene. Even though it was a little obvious. So, my question is, how did Bootstrap Bill get in there? I'm thinking uh, that... Hand-waving pirate magic. Yeah, well, see, I think Davy Jones's crew can teleport, because they teleport from the Flying Dutchman, or from that other ship that they took, mm-hmm. right onto Jack's ship, onto, onto the Black Pearl, uh, when Jack is watching them through his spyglass. And then all yeah. of a sudden, Davy Jones is just there. Davy Jones occupies a very interesting sort of mythos in this series, where he his powers are unexplained, mm. and and I think that that fits the story just fine because any he he can't be beaten through any sort of traditional head-on means, and so his powers don't have to be really fleshed out because the only way that our main characters can best him is to circumvent that sort of head-on approach Mm. yeah i I guess i do kind of like the way they set that up usually my big complaint about you know i guess the magic systems in Mm -hmm. movies and stories is that they're not fleshed out well enough and so the rules that are in place uh can be violated or i shouldn't say violated that there are no rules in place and so you just never know what they're gonna do next and you're not surprised when they have some overpowered power that that they can tell you about yeah but i think that they use it sparingly enough in in these movies Mm. that the the sort of magic can be more mystical because it's not explained yeah it sort of maintains that allure yeah that's what i'm saying i think they did it uh, a reasonably good job with it in this story so Mm -hmm. um not uh, too many complaints there um so back so to he, Bootstrap Bill. Yeah, My he gets question on the ship. is, we don't really need to know how. <laughs> yeah, so presumably he just teleports there for some reason. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, my question is, he never returned his uh, medallion to the chest in, from the first movie. He was sent to the depths before they realized that they needed his blood. So he should still be affected by the curse but, of the Black Pearl. Well, but his medallion he sent to Will. Ah, he did. So it did get returned, yeah. I guess, with with blood. And okay. then Will yeah. Will's blood substituted for his. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he that was he was immortal while he was stuck at the bottom of the ocean, strapped to a cannon. Mm-hmm. But then, just recently, in the events of the movies, would have regained his mortality. But by then, he's already on Davy Jones' crew. Yeah. So should have waited. Yeah. Because then he could have just <laughs> died. I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I so, shudder to think of the situation that Bootstrap Bill was in. That's just so profoundly uncomfortable to think about. <laughs> what, you mean having your boots tied to a cannon and being dropped to the bottom of the yeah, ocean? Yeah, well, yeah, and being stuck on the bottom of the ocean in a constant state of undeath. Yeah, uh, uh, with all that pressure pressing mm-hmm. on you. Uh, the moonlight can't reach you, so you're not a skeleton, so it's pressing on your skin. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so he then he then shakes Jack's hand or, or touches his hand somehow and gives him the black spot, which apparently marks him as a target or, or as yeah. a dead man. Mm-hmm. What's the history of the black spot? Because I've heard it referenced in other pirate material, but uh, I don't know what know, the what the deal I, is. I don't have the foggiest clue. I I, I didn't do research. Hmm. What are you here for then? No, just kidding. Uh, um, that's a that's a good question. Why am I? <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, so I've heard the black spot reference. I, was it some disease at some point? Because here it's it's kind of like this magical black spot that appears and disappears to show oh. Jack's. Yeah, because uh, when when uh, Davy Jones shakes his hand when he agrees to get the hundred souls, you see it fade away. So Jack... so here's so here's a. Uh, an article from Wikipedia that I just Googled uh, mm-hmm. that says that it was a liter- the, the black spot was a literary device invented by Robert Louis Stevenson in the novel Treasure Island. Ah. Uh, and in those books, or in that book, it was a uh, pronunciation of a verdict of guilt or judgment. It was literally just a piece of paper uh, with one side blackened and the other side having a message. Um, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, later on, when uh, Teodoma mentions that he has the black spot, and then Pintel Rigetti and Mr. Gibbs all, like, brush off their chest and spin around <laughs> in a circle and spit at the same time, like that's some kind of ritual? And that's not I don't know, man. Pirate mythology. Yeah. Um, real briefly, back to uh, Treasure Island... Um, when they filmed that, I guess the original, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was the guy who played Long John Silver, is kind of the guy who invented the way that pirates talk with the uh, "arg" and "ahoy matey" and, and that that pirate. <laughs> what voice, you that mean that classic. wasn't how that wasn't how real pirates talked? You're shattering well, my my whole worldview here. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Next week we'll talk about Santa. Um, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was uh, the first known usage of it because uh, huh. you know you always kind of wonder where does that pirate accent come from or whatever. And I think yeah. that was uh, it was invented by him. Cool. Um. So you, you see that the monkey then takes Jack's hat and throws it in the water, and then those Turkish fishermen mm-hmm. or whatever they were pull it onto their boat and start wearing it and then the kraken attacks their boat so apparently it's tracking jack by his hat so how well i I think that that's just coincidence that like it's coming Mm. from the same like if i were to draw out a map you know it's coming from this direction and jack's going that direction and his hat is lost somewhere on the way and sort of stays there this boat happens to pick it up they're sort of in that collision path and the kraken just got hungry on his way there Okay, because I was going to question, how how can the Kraken smell Jack from his hat? Plus, wouldn't his whole body reek worse than his hat would? So why wouldn't it just go straight for the Black Pearl? 
No, I, I don't think it's necessarily the hat. I think it's just a symptom of the hat mm. being on the, the course. Okay, all right. Um, their next scene then is, um, I think, uh, where Pentel and Rigetti are rowing ashore, and they make reference to mm-hmm. how they managed to escape from jail, and uh, that's, a, that's a short that I would love to see, Pentel and Rigetti in jail and, and coaxing the dog with the keys over. That uh, that dog with. I s- <laughs> shows up so often. Does it show up after uh, episode two or after movie two? It it does show up in the third movie. Uh, uh, okay. Having watched it earlier today. Okay, because um, I think there's a little clip at the post credit scene which I didn't watch, but I think he is the yeah. the, the mm-hmm. leader of mm-hmm. the uh, cannibal tribe. Um, Yes, he takes Jack's that. place as the uh, as the god of the uh, cannibals. <laughs> yes, who they intended to eat Jack to set him mm-hmm. free from his mortal bonds, as Mister Gibbs yes. explains. Uh, so you kind of assume that the dog got eaten at the end of mm-hmm. episode two. So I'm glad to see that he made it back for episode three. The dog does survive somehow. So we see Pintel and Rigetti rowing their boat to this island. So somehow they got out of jail and then made a beeline for this island where Jack mm-hmm. sh- had just pulled his ship ashore. Yep. Wh- what in the world? How did they know that his ship was there? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> and so why were they going for that ship specifically? I don't know. So, like, okay, so I can I can understand them finding out where the ship is because Will also figures out where the ship is just sort of by talking to people. Mm-hmm. So they know that they know where the Black Pearl is, presumably. And it must not be super far away from where they were imprisoned, which you know, lucky I guess. But the fact that they get all the way there in their little dinghy. <laughs> yes. I was I guess I was assuming they were imprisoned in Port uh, Royal where they were captured mm-hmm. or when mm-hmm. they were captured by the Royal Navy. After well, Port the... Royal and Tortuga can't be very far apart. Yeah, like, I don't I know don't if know. there's I don't know if there's an official map out there, but the the two seem to be hmm. fairly close to each other. Hmm. Like it's not keep, Singapore. Keep the audience entertained while I Google Pirates of the Caribbean map. Oh yeah, I okay. Think, I don't well, think Port you know, Royal in, was in, a real place. Oh, probably not. Uh, but uh, like in the first movie, you know, the Jack and and Will sail there, just the two of them. It's sort of their first stop. Uh, and then Elizabeth ends up there by sort of steering the ship that she stows away on. You know, it's it's a I, I don't know. Anyway, so I said earlier that I wanted to talk about my my Elizabeth list, my Elizabeth mm-hmm. El- Eliza list. Nope, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a list here in my notes. That is titled, Good Grief, Everyone is Obsessed with Elizabeth. Have you noticed that every male in this series wants to marry Elizabeth? Nope, never caught on to that. Like, absolutely everyone. (laughs) Just kidding, yeah, you're absolutely right. It strains credulity. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he says your latest fiancé. Have they all just been out at sea for too long and haven't seen a female? Because, like, every character to some extent, even even Beckett in the third movie, for, for no reason. Hmm. I don't know. Yes, yes. Well, you know, they just couldn't afford female characters, so they had to keep using her in every movie as the love interest. <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite a, a parade 
it, it until ends up... number f- five is it when they have not will and elizabeth oh yeah yeah when she gets trapped on the island oh it's at the end of number three that she gets trapped at the island right i don't know if she's trapped when she goes will to becomes live... yeah captain of the flying dutchman oh well she's she lives there anyway by herself yeah. Anyway, yeah. So we can talk about that more when we do the, our third movie review because even more characters are introduced who also want to marry Elizabeth. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. Um, I looked up Pirates of the Caribbean map and didn't find much except for mostly the map from the third movie, which we shall not get into just yet. Oh, yeah. We'll have to later, though. Um, that map is, is... Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty neat map. Um, so Will gets uh, a ride to this island from talking mm-hmm. to all these people and finding out where Jack's ship is with <laughs> the uh, guy bringing him to the island. It's funny because the, the guy he meets up with is a Jamaican accent. And mm-hmm. then he says, my brother will take you ashore. And his brother is speaking French to him. So they must do a lot of trading that they uh, they know all these different languages. Just thought that. I, I hadn't noticed that. Well, see, I uh, borrowed a, a a play from your playbook and watched it with subtitles on, and so I caught the uh, caught the French. Not I that see. I understood it, but I saw that it was. So there. I did. I did uh, notice though when when Will is being rowed to the island, and the, his brother stops and makes him swim the rest of the way, and mm-hmm. he says "Bon voyage, Monsieur" or whatever you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's then the French, and then only like half an hour later, <laughs> when. Uh, when Will is being sent in a rowboat over to the ship that he believes to be the Flying Dutchman, I think it's Rigetti or maybe Pintel says the exact same thing to him as he's being oh, sent off. That's good. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That's good. Now that you say that, I realize it. Yep. Because mm-hmm. poor Will just cannot catch a break in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's being sacrificed by Jack because Jack's just a jerk through this oh. movie. Yep. Um,. <laughs> I loved the foreshadowing though. Once, uh, once Will got onto the beach and the parrot's just like, "Don't eat me!" He's like, "I'm not gonna eat you." Yep. And then he gets trapped by cannibals. Yep. I thought their trap was a little bit inefficient, uh, by the way, because I mean, the point of traps is that you don't have to wait around for the thing to get caught. But yet, this guy is standing there to scare him and trip the trigger rather mm-hmm. than. Mm-hmm. Also, I thought it was rather strange that Will just found this vine tied to uh, Mister Gibbs's flask in the yeah. middle of a jungle and follow the line. It's a very complex trap. You see, uh, the, the flask was actually the bait. Uh, it's mm-hmm. specifically designed for pirates. <laughs> yeah, well, see, it was the bait, but he found the vine first and followed it all the way to the flask. I thought it was the, I thought it was the strap for the flask. Hmm, I thought, oh, I don't know, I thought it was pretty long. Maybe it was the strap. I anyway, I found it quite a coincidence that he found that in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> He's very and, observant, uh, but not observant that... enough to see the trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the 10 or 15 guys that crowd around him as soon as he gets caught. Yep. Um, before they uh, blow dart his neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the, the island of, of cannibals is such a interesting see, like uh, setting because... There's a whole story arc told on that island that has no bearing on the rest of the story of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally just we have to get Jack and the crew of the Black Pearl 
off of the island. That's that's it. There there's nothing else that relates to that island. <laughs> it could almost yeah. be its own short movie, or it's... or it could be fleshed out into a movie if you wanted to. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> um, there was reference in the first movie to it actually because he says, "And then they made me their chief." Mm-hmm. While he was talking to the two British soldiers, yep. so apparently he has been their chief before, and now... or he's completely making up the story, and then it happens to him. I mean, <laughs> that could be too. Um, I'm just thinking, like, he knows what's going to happen. How did he escape the first time? Because we know, yeah. well, sea turtles, uh, obviously. Oh yes, yes, a pair of them strapped my feet. Not that easy, <laughs> is it? Um, yeah, so. You would think he's been there before, but apparently not. I also thought it uh, interesting that they managed to drag this entire ship up onto the beach without destroying any of it. Yeah, it, they must have had it up there when the tide was higher, and then it went out or yeah, something. Yeah, well, see, that's part of my problem with it, is that it's a very shallow beach, and there's no room for the water to get high enough. So I don't know how Pentel and Rigetti, once they got to the island, managed to get this thing unmoored, and then... Uh-huh upright and floating in the water just in time for Jack and his crew to come back and uh, hop aboard. Cause... Because Pintel and Rigetti have secret superpowers. <laughs> they're just, yes, they're just yes. too inept to actually use them. Mm. We'll go I, with I that. Yep. There's, there's, yeah, no I, way I... The, uh... <laughs> there's no way the tide would have actually helped them because it would have only been like two feet deep there. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the Black Pearl must be magic. Ah, sure. We'll go with that. Sure. Um, I, yeah. So a little bit. I didn't back think about the, it too much. Back to the island thing. Mm-hmm. I thought those cages made of bones were also rather impractical because I, I don't know how you get people into the cages. Because you see, when they drop all that distance, the line snaps. Mm-hmm. So if you put all the people in the cages and then just pushed them off the cliff and let them left them to hang there, the line would have snapped. And then you'd how do you get the people back? Sorry, what? You'd have had to like lower them down, I suppose, instead of dropping them. Yeah, but how? And then how do you get them back out of the cages again when you're ready to eat them? You got to pull them back up. Yeah, but there's nothing. They must have had some kind of long hook or something that they'd reach them with. Well, anyway, I, I, yeah, I mean, you got to work for it because otherwise, you know, eating people, there's too many calories. You, you got to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose they were all pretty, uh, pretty slim and, slim mm-hmm. and uh, fit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just thought the cages were slightly impractical. Oh, they're very impractical, but they're also very <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, they were very cool, but I think they could have been done in a more practical, cool way. Oh, probably. Um, but yeah, I, I did love how they were climbing up the uh, the wall with them. And then the guy grabs the, the what is it, a f- I think it's supposed to look like a coral snake, but it's the, the safe version. Yes, the, it is. The uh, red on black version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the snake with the red, black, and white stripes. Yeah, and the saying goes, red on black, friend of Jack. So I think it's funny that they put them in pirates movies uh with captain jack but yeah it was the non-venomous mm-hmm. kind and the guy freaked out and that's what caused him to fall yeah that, it's it's really a shame that we have that whole other sort of pod of characters that just like we're introduced to them and they're immediately killed off <laughs> yeah um and it's funny the guy who they decided to continue climbing even though one of the uh the tribesmen might have seen them mm-hmm. they're the ones that gave away the what they were doing which in the end ended up actually saving everybody but um 
Yeah. Yeah. He, when, when Will says something about uh, needing the whole crew to, to uh, crew the, the ship, he's like, actually, about six would do. <laughs> about six and would do. So he's like, we don't need everybody, and then he's ends up just like, ends up being oh no, die. <laughs> uh, I guess that's also my previous question too. What did Pentel and Rigetti plan to do with the Black Pearl once they got it into the water? Uh, especially because we see that we need six people to crew it, which maybe they didn't know, but what were they going to do with it? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, and while they're on the island, not to jump around too much, but, you know, Jack leans down and says, save me to Will, which uh, I guess it took me a while to catch that he was referring to the fact that he was just as much a prisoner as they were, because mm-hmm. that gets explained later. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Mercer also shows up. Uh, he was the one that killed the captain that was going to set or help Elizabeth sail free. Yes. And uh, he's a very well-acted character. He's just so despicable. I just hate the guy throughout oh, the whole movie. he's so awful. I hate him so much, and it's, yeah, just, I, I just completely look at agree. His face. Just look at his face. He's just, oh, he's, he's so well-acted. I, mm-hmm. uh... Love the acting, hate the character, <laughs> which of course was the uh, the goal. Um, this movie has a lot of fun action scenes, mm-hmm. like the uh, the ball rolling through the forest and the uh, later water wheel rolling through the forest, and uh, Jack on his pole vaulting spit. Yeah, <laughs> he's tied to it. I am just. I just, it seemed to me like they were almost trying to set this up for, like, Disney rides or something like that. Kind of like when movies set up stuff for uh, making plush toys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the pole vaulting, and then, you know, I'll, I'll accept a lot from these movies in the terms of playing loose with the rules of, of physics and gravity. But when Jack falls off the cliff after his almost successful pole vault and smashes through like 15 bridges and then <laughs> hits the ground so hard he bounces and is completely unharmed. <laughs> He's Captain Jack Sparrow. I love that the pole came flying down and landed like a foot from his face on end. Mm-hmm. That's so good just made me have that oh that sinking feeling like man if that had been just a couple inches over that could have been dead yeah no i love that but just the like i'm sorry no he's dead he's just so dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah he'd have been he'd have been dead but i thought it was a fun scene anyway um it was a lot there was a lot of fun scenes like that and of course being that it wasn't dark and brooding like the first movie, um, you know, with everything taking place under moonlight, it was mm-hmm. a lot more, I don't know, I guess just light and tropical yeah. feeling. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, like, I don't actually have a problem with Jack surviving that fall. It's a comedy. It's re- it's a very funny yeah. scene, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I agree. He would have died. <laughs> um. And then I got to go back to the scene where all the cannibals are chasing Jack down the beach. And that is one of my favorite memes. It's that, that scene freeze. It's a freeze frame of that scene. Oh, yes. It's, uh, 
something to the effect of uh, the camp counselor running away from the campers or something like that. Uh, <laughs> camp, it's, just, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, the, the, I, I, that, that's, that's, that's a great little, like, bit of visual storytelling instead of mm-hmm. actual dialogue where Will mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, I'm not going to leave without Jack. And then they all just sort of turn around and look. <laughs> and I love Jack's run. I think, I think I heard someone describe it once from, from the production of how he runs like a lizard, which goes back to our previous, uh, review of Rango. I did uh, notice at one point the a very distinctive Jack Sparrow scream that sounded exactly like Rango. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch the scream, but yeah, the running. Like, <laughs> I think that guy's part lizard. Probably. He's a lizard person. T- tune in next week for Conspiracy Chat. Ooh, we teased that last week, too. <laughs> did we? <laughs> we should probably actually do that podcast at some point. <laughs> I completely forgot. Um, so from there we move on to going to visit Tia Dalma and sure. I don't know. In oh, your yeah. research have you, oh, I'm sorry to, sorry to cut you off there in your yeah, research. Well, have we, we you, skipped over. Mm, yeah. What have About you? Tia Dalma? Yeah. It, it, sorry. we got a bad connection or something. Have you come up with any backstory to her and Jack? Apparently oh. they were in love at some point. I mean, um, or Mr. something, something approaching love, I suppose. <laughs> it's Mr. Jack Sparrow. Gibbs, I mean, Mr. Gibbs seems very hesitant to go visit her, and I don't know if that's just because she's some kind of a sorcerer or something else, or just because she broke Jack's heart. Have you come across any uh, backstory on her? Uh, I haven't. Uh, I haven't hmm. uh, dug too much into this movie as far as anything beyond what's on screen. Uh, I've coincidentally come across some stuff, but uh, no, I think that I think that a lot of Jack's backstory is meant to be vague, and for some reason Gibbs knows all of it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because he really only knew Mister, or he really only knew Jack from the first movie. But he knows the entire backstory from before that, even so. Well, he he knew Jack from before, like the the time between when we see Gibbs as a Royal Navy, you know, sort of officer or whatever, and and then the time skip forward is sort of assumed to be Jack and Gibbs having all of these adventures. So, mm-hmm. I still want to know what happened to Mister Gibbs that he. Uh... Ended up taking up a lot with uh, with Jack. And apparently they weren't terribly great friends because they had to go wake him up from a pigsty in Tortuga. Well, you know, that's just, anyway. that's just the pirate's life. But yes, <laughs> I guess so. But yes, we go and see Tia Dalma after one of my favorite lines to, to quote randomly where uh, Gibbs says that we should head out to open sea and, and Jack says that only insofar as we keep to the shallows as much as possible. <laughs> Yes to the first, yes to the second. Yeah. But only as much as we keep to the shells as much as possible. And, and Gibbs, my what my my favorite line is just the the that seems a bit contradictory, Captain. Well, I have every faith in your reconciliatory navigational skills. Yes, oh, that was that was a good line. That was one of my favorites as well. Uh, Can you imagine how freaked out you'd be though if you had a captain like Jack who's just calm and cool all the time, and then all of a sudden he's just all freaked out and wants to get to land? Yeah. 
and like, doesn't what? want to turn around and get his hat. Like, that's the moment where it's just yeah. like, no, okay, we're all going to die. Oh, things are serious <laughs> now. And, and, and did he just finally crack and he's gone crazy, or did he see something real scary? <laughs> Does Captain and, seem a bit strange? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was also a good line. Um. Uh, yeah, but he wanted to go for land. Not I didn't say port. I said land. Any <laughs> land. <laughs> so I have this note here, but I don't know why it didn't come up back with the the when when Will got tricked on the Flying Dutchman. Well, I guess this is maybe where it sequentially happens. Um, the it, they'll talk about they or they talk about the uh, the tentacles of the Kraken <laughs> and how it'll suck a man's face clean off. Yeah, they do. And then, and then they show a man who's, it's just like he just has skin for a face. He has no mouth, eyes, or nose. Well, you see, his face was... has been magically sucked off and sent to Davy Jones' locker. That's that's how that works. Yeah, but it's there's it's not like exposed flesh. It's just skin where his eyes, nose, and mouth are missing. I have no idea thought... medically how that happens, but it is powerfully unsettling to look at. It was, but it also took me kind of out of the movie, too, because it's like, what in the world? <laughs> they don't shy away from showing that sort of thing so it's not like it was for the rating or anything like that no. <laughs> can no, you imagine just... going around for the rest of your life oh. still alive without uh without your face how do you breathe yeah i don't know no i, I think know. you're just I, dead I, I think that you pretty just sure died. pretty sure yeah. that guy was dead but mm-hmm. I, I thought it was kind of odd the way that they chose to play that oh yeah yeah, we see um, that so twice. Once, once when Will is on the the poor ship that's been completely destroyed, and then later on the on the island. On the Ooh, island. that might be in that might be in the third movie, actually. Hmm. Okay. There's another guy with his face suctioned off. Ah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't recall it being in this movie. Um. So then they get to Tortuga, and they're looking for recruits mm-hmm. and i just gotta say whoever i can't even remember i should have looked this up the guy who plays norrington yeah has a lovely narrator's voice he's got that english accent it's so deep and soothing i would love to get the audiobook of pirates of the caribbean where it explains all of these things that we've been talking about mm-hmm. but is narrated by Norrington. oh no i want it to be narrated by mr gibbs but i i, <laughs> I will accept norrington <laughs> mm. Norrington can be the if you're trying to listen to it while you're going to bed and Mr. Gibbs can be just the if you're mm-hmm. just trying to get the story. Yeah, Mr. Gibbs' storytelling is far too interesting to fall asleep to. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, I liked that while they were in Tortuga uh, J- after the bar fight started, Jack was just going around trying on all these tricorn hats that he's just taken off of people during the fight to <laughs> replace the hat that he uh-huh. lost to the Kraken. Uh-huh. But none of them suits him, and he ends up leaving without a hat. Yeah. Uh, Jack's signature ability to walk through an active bar fight completely unscathed uh, comes up again <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yes. I just... Oh, okay. So as as someone who has done, like, the tiniest amount of actual stage choreography for, for like, theater instead of for movies, but those scenes are so fun to watch. Like, that's... There's so much going on. It's so masterfully done. mm you would have had to get so many people on the same page and practice and rehearse that to, to get that uh-huh. that perfectly orchestrated absolute chaos. 
<laughs> so that it looks like every punch is landing right. as well. And, well, and, uh, and so it looks like complete chaos, but Jack is mm-hmm. able to just sort of walk his way through without without anything hitting him. Yeah, it, it, there's there's so many people involved that all have to look like they're actually fighting, and then yeah, like you mm-hmm. said, Jack walking right through the middle of it. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, I, I, it's really good. I mean, the choreography in these movies, when it comes to any sort of fight, is is really good. But the the bar mm-hmm. scenes are are sort of a different beast because they're not sword fighting, and they have so many people. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not like a scene, it, like there's a lot of people, but you can't just get a bunch of extras together and tell them to look like they're fighting. Right. It's very clearly choreographed. It's mm-hmm. a very complicated dance with a lot of people. And I don't think it was a wonder, but that would have been a pretty impressive wonder if they did. They started the bar, you know, the, the scene downstairs. I guess it wasn't because they did cut. They started yeah. the fight downstairs. They went up the stairs and then they it cut to upstairs and continued from there, but that would have been a fun one if they'd have just, the camera had followed him up the stairs the whole way. Oh man. Yeah. They missed a good opportunity. There is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, so we, we leave pick the, up, I, yeah, oh, we pick sorry. up Norrington and Elizabeth and we lost Will. So we've got, you know, mm. most of the cast together and, and heading out to, well, and, and Jack, of course, continuing his, his arc of being a completely manipulative piece of garbage for the first half of this movie decides mm-hmm. that he can use Elizabeth to navigate using the compass that won't work for him. Mm-hmm. And he can convince her that what she wants most in the world is not in fact to find Will because that won't do him any good, but it is in fact to find the thing that will help her save Will, which is yes. a- an interesting bit of gymnastics so I... that he can find the chest, which will save will in a roundabout way <laughs> i loved that moment when he had that little aha uh, mm-hmm. i can i could trick her to, to do it and then he runs away from the compass as quickly as he can so as <laughs> not interfere with it uh-huh very good well done i love that oh yeah and then we i guess cut back to the flying dutchman is it um and i just made a note here of how well designed the the creatures were on the flying oh, dutchman yeah they're they amazing were, they were all very distinctive um mm-hmm. designed to look like something from the ocean whether it be a hammerhead shark or a hermit crab or coral or whatever mm-hmm. it may be they were able to combine these things into these human forms and they were they were all very distinct but not distracting right and uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And just the whole set design of the Flying Dutchman itself. I mean, the whole thing, the ship looks like it's been at the bottom of the ocean for a thousand years. It's just got barnacles everywhere. Uh-huh. Just very it's, well designed. Uh, yeah, the Flying Dutchman is gorgeous to look at. Like, it's the the whole de- design and style and and the music. But we're go- I'm going to get into the music later because I want to rant about it for like a good five minutes. <laughs> the organ music? Well, just the music of the movie in general, but yes, the the okay. organ theme to any time we see the Flying Dutchman is yeah, just okay, haunting. Let, <laughs> let me uh, let me bring up my point about the organ too. When you do that, just remind me so I don't oh, forget. Yeah. Um, Davy Jones, if you go back and listen to our previous episode on Rango, um, mm-hmm. we talked about how Rattlesnake Jake was played by the same guy that plays Davy Jones. And if we'd mm-hmm. have done our research, I'd have been able to tell you who the actor was, but I can't think of it at the moment. Well, see, that's that's your homework, uh, listeners, is <laughs> yeah, to go listeners. out and figure that out. Below. Yeah. Um, and so the guy who 
who voiced Rattlesnake Jake played uh, Davy Jones or, or voiced Davy Jones. Mm-hmm. And the guy who animated Rattlesnake Jake animated all the tentacles on Davy Jones's face. So I paid extra attention to the tentacles and they're so good. They, they have such natural movements. Obviously mm-hmm. it's all CGI and uh, they look, you know, like real. They do real, a good uh, job of octopus. conveying Davy Jones emotion. Mm-hmm. I think because the, the unfortunate thing about having these characters that are, human but with their face obscured by something in this case a bunch of tentacles and octopus cgi is that it's harder for the actor to convey emotion just with their facial expressions but that is Mm. more than made up for in this case by having the tentacles sort of change the way that they move and and sit and whatnot on on jones's face to suit his emotion which i thought was Mm. like that that would have been really easy to just skip over and just like he's got some tentacles and they move around loosely how gravity makes them move and that would have been like sort of the easy way out but they mm-hmm. went the extra mile to make sure that they could convey that emotion that was being lost underneath the CGI yeah yeah it was, it was so well done mm-hmm. um, I also while we're on the Flying Dutchman wanted to talk about the game of I think it's called Liar's Dice yes they're wagering gears which presumably they wager to take the years of the other person so they can get out of the service early? Yeah, I think that's the way that that I works. Would, I would guess. So, Will asks if any crew member of the Flying Dutch Command can be challenged. Uh-huh. And his dad's like, yeah, anybody. Any, any crew member. So then he's like, uh-huh. well, I challenge Davy Jones. But Davy Jones has nothing compelling him to actually play this game. He's not a crewman. And you he's know, just I... like... Yeah. Totally in charge of everything and could have just said no. You know, I think that what's implied, and I, I swear I've actually heard this in, like, the commentary that I watched, like, 15 years ago. <laughs> but I think what what they're getting at there is that Davy Jones only stands to lose reputation in this endeavor. Like, if he if he turns down this direct challenge in front of all the crew that's gathered there, he'll look bad. And that's Mm. his only motivation for accepting the challenge. Mm. Or maybe he's just a competitive octopus. Who knows? It could be. It could be. (laughs) I don't don't agree with that theory, but it could be. Um, Also, I thought it was kind of, well, (laughs) foolish of Will to just go all in. He's just, uh, he's wagering an eternity of service. Yeah, you'd think that you could, you know, give it like 200 years, you know. Bargain. Well, even a hundred—that seemed to be kind of the going rate. Yeah, um, it's more dramatic this way, and Will's a very uh, dramatic yeah. person. <laughs> Obviously, the point of it, as he says to his father, was just to find out where the key was, because he mm-hmm. didn't think that you know pledging himself to the Dutchman was actually going to make him stay there. Um, right. But you'd think he would have gone with a more believable bet at first, like a hundred years. Yeah. I, I just thought it was kind of silly that he threw. He, he went all in mm-hmm. <laughs> right, off, right off the bat. Also, so, I'm not sure what mm-hmm. his, when his dad jumped in to play with them, I'm not sure what that did to any of it other than just changing the odds. I don't, it well, I think like that his dad is joining, his dad is joining, I think, explicitly to ensure that Will can't lose because the way that the game is set up, at any point, his dad can ensure that instead of Will losing, he loses instead. And he doesn't want Will to have to lose the game. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how the game works, but it okay, just so it seems I have like... an amusing personal anecdote about this. Okay. Years ago, uh, back when the Nintendo DS, the, like the original one, not the 3DS, not the DS Lite, but like the old chunky half a laptop that weighed 15 pounds DS was, was new, I had the Pirates of the Caribbean game for the Nintendo DS, and I played it for hours. And there was a mini game on there where you could actually play Liar's Dice against an AI. Oh. And it's a, it was a fully fleshed out game that apparently was true to the movies. Like, the directors created this hmm. game. And uh, right now you're... Quite, quite. I can. Three of the players roll their dice, and then... They're all betting on how many of each result is in all three players' dice. And so you only know, you know, a, a fraction of the information, but you can infer, you know, if you have a lot of one result, then the odds of other players having a couple of those is higher and whatnot. But long story short, it, it goes around in turn order so that after one player makes their bet, because of where Will's father positions himself on the table, after Will makes his wager, instead of calling Will on it, because that would be Will's father's position to do, he can instead let whatever the bet is pass and just say something higher, and it, then he loses, but... <laughs> hmm. Okay. Now that's interesting. I guess I thought it was a... Everybody just goes around the table and guesses how many <laughs> of each number there are going to be, and then everybody reveals all at once. Yeah, but you so. it, you you have to go in turn order. So like when Will says, "I forget however many," then mm -hmm. it passes to his dad, and his dad can either call Will a liar, in which case if he's right, Will loses, and if he's wrong, then his dad would lose. Hmm. Okay. Or he can up the bet and then pass it on to to Davy Jones. Okay, well, good to see that it was actually a fleshed out, out game. There somewhere, uh, if anyone's really interested in looking me. it up, it's actually kind um, of fun. Back to the Nintendo DS, anybody who knows me will know that I do not ever play video games. I just don't have any interest in it. But I'm pretty sure it was on a Nintendo DS that I did play the Pirates of the Caribbean game way back when. And I'm pretty sure, at least the game I was playing, it was mostly just Jack walking around, punching crates and stuff, and seeing what treasures were inside. And uh, I love the Pirates of the Caribbean at that point, so I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Haven't played any video games since, but that was my, <laughs> one of my very few exposures. Um, anyway, long tangent into the the intricacies of Liar's Dice aside. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's what this show is all about. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, let's see what else I got. You got any other fun fun facts? Um, I mean, just in general or for where we are in the movie? Because I don't know. Yeah, uh, I guess in general... Um, so, and now, see, I'm struggling because I, I made my notes, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for sort of the two movies together, and I'm trying to remember what happens in which movie. They sort of they sort of blur together, which is an interesting point in itself, because, um, you know, we talked about the first movie last time, or was it last time? Anyway. Yes, my apologies for not being able to record both together, but my thought was we weren't going to have enough for two episodes because... Like I've said before, I don't really care for the sequels that much. But turns out there's a lot more to them when you sit down and pay real close attention. Much more closely um, tied to each other. Mm. 
I I have some uh, I guess notes on later the battle where they're where they're fighting the uh, the kraken mm-hmm. when it finally comes to attack uh, the black pearl. Although I guess is there anything you wanted to say about the fight on the island because I think this comes after that so sequentially. Mm. Uh, um, other than the was... fact that it's probably my favorite sword fight in this series. The the three-way sword fight mm. on the beach is so good. <laughs> mm. Mm. It, we, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it on here before or just in person, but uh, we've talked about how we love the part where Elizabeth fakes that she's fainted in the heat to get one of the, yes. the, the three guys that are apparently in love with her to come over and help her so she can break up this fight and they just all <laughs> ignore her. So she sits there and pouts and then Patan Raggedy go running past with the chest who, which she was charged with staying to guard. Um, so they wouldn't have gotten it if she had, you know, just stayed there and guarded it but she ended up chasing them down. I love too how she's after them. She goes to reach for her sword and, and realizes that Will took her sword already and so Patel and Rietti come after her with their swords and then the the crew of the Flying Dutchman show up and they just give their swords to her and take off running. I just love that how they're they go from being sort of enemies Mm -hmm. who are after each other to being um, comrades fighting together against uh, another common enemy. Yes. Yes. And uh, I liked that some of it took place on top of that like in the, the bell tower of the church love mm-hmm. that um and then they were out on the roof of the church and then at some point jack falls into an open grave which i mean that's just Chekhov's you know graveyard right yeah, there it's, it's some very <laughs> subtle foreshadowing that something might not uh something might not go so well for jack it was just very just very good very well done i love um, that i love that at one point in the fight jack is able to turn uh uh, Norrington and Will against each other when he is just completely mm-hmm. in a corner. He, there's, there's no way. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, and he was still, if Norrington had really thought it through, mm-hmm. uh, Jack was still more of an enemy at that point than Will was. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but yes, I, I did like how how he was able to turn him. However, that that does go back to more of his manipulative ways in mm-hmm. this film, which I'm uh, I'm very disappointed in him for because uh, Will could have gotten killed. Yeah, that's kind of Jack's Jack's uh character in this movie is exploring, you know, he he's put in a very desperate situation or a series of desperate situations. Mm. And all throughout he keeps making the decision to manipulate his you know, the people around him to try and save mm-hmm. himself. And then at the very end he decides against making that decision and so it's it's a it's a growth moment for the character i think well yes and no i have some uh some qualms with the way they did that there we'll get to that though when we get to that part of the movie um i i love the water wheel scene where mm-hmm. they the water wheel breaks free and jack era will and norrington are on top fighting <laughs> jack gets run over and his top half is inside the wheel and his legs are sticking out and i love how will just looks down and there's a pair of legs coming around the wheel as they're sword fighting just i just love the thought of that yep. and then it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling i, I love that scene i love watching how the the camera is fixed inside on jack's face mm-hmm. and so the only thing you can see that tells you that there's movement going on is his hair and 
jewelry and stuff dangling mm-hmm. around and then the key of course when it gets caught on the nail so i just loved how all of that was shot yeah it's very it's very interesting cinematography mm. yes when it, yes, when it rotates I, upside down <laughs> i i love too how there's the let's see elizabeth and patel and Rigetti are fighting the the crew of the Flying Dutchman, and then all of a sudden the wheel just goes rolling through, and they just kind of look at each other and shrug and go back to fighting. Yep. Very good, very good comic moment. Will and Norrington stand up out of the wheel, and they're both just so dizzy. Yeah. That was good. Uh... There's a... Quite a, I would say a good fight, too, that goes on on the beach there. A lot of creative fighting. Mm-hmm. The, the the tools and things that they grab to fight the crew of the Flying Dutchman, and uh, that's where, of course, Norrington steals the heart for himself, which it just bothers me to see that bare heart, like actual, oh. like literal heart, just being oh. coated in dirt and shoved into people's mm-hmm. <laughs> shirts and stuff like that. Just do, like, Do you think Davy Jones can feel that while that's happening? Oh, that's a good question. And it brings up another point of, if you were going to cut your heart out and you could survive that and hide it somewhere, why would you put it on a sand beach in an island rather than an underwater cave somewhere or even just a cave somewhere? Because surely some critter, sea turtle or something, is going to dig up your heart at some point or the tides washing sand in and you know, out it was, or something. It was pretty deep. Like, Yeah, it was maybe three feet deep on a sand beach. I thought it was deep. I thought I thought that one of the characters was like fully down in the hole while they were digging. Uh, I think Norrington was up to his waist, maybe. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, I just thought that was an impractical place to keep your heart. In. Oh, it's a very impractical place. Really, yeah, really so should have just thrown it to the bottom of the ocean. Let's be honest, but you know. Yeah, in a cave at the bottom of the ocean or something. Uh, so, and I guess along with that we should maybe at least touch on apparently they talk about how his heart what got broken mm-hmm. by the woman he loved or whatever mm-hmm. who man I, I really wish I had watched the the third film now when I had, I had the chance to is apparently Calypso who yes. is I believe Tia Dalma you are correct spoilers it, for the just, third movie whoops yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that whole love story with David. You know, Jones. you're just gonna. Well, we're gonna have to talk about it next time when we do the third yeah, movie. Yeah, we should. We should. I wonder how much kind of the stuff of was. <laughs> I wonder how much of the stuff was made up for the movies, and how much of this is actually like Davy Jones lore, and you know and where the idea of Davy Jones comes from. The way I understand it, Davy Jones is one of those characters kind of like King Arthur or Robin Hood mm-hmm. where there's not so much one one cohesive backstory or lore. It's just a collection of myths. And mm-hmm. so often when it's put into a movie like this, they, they get they have a lot of the writers have a lot of free reign to kind of pick whatever suits the story and and sort of play with it, which I really think is great. It it makes the character sort of this living part of of culture that can be adapted as long as you keep sort of the core aspects of the character solid you can sort mm-hmm. of write your own story around it which mm-hmm. is maybe a topic of discussion for later but uh yeah he is uh currently residing in public domain 
Oh, are you there? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello. Hello? Hey, we're back. My laptop just froze up for whatever reason. Oh, that's wonderful. I better write down this timestamp so I can edit ourselves so we look like professionals. Yeah. We're talking about the the Davy Jones mythos when it when it uh, yeah, cut out. Yeah, I I made a great joke about him now residing in the public domain and I didn't get to hear whether or not you thought it was funny. I that's pretty funny. I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it was funnier when it was delivered. Well, yeah, you know, timing is everything. Yes, yes. That's Anyway, so shall we forge onward? I don't know how we're going to edit around this, but you Oh, know. don't you worry. I have plenty of practice. Oh, good. <laughs> Lovely. All the editing magic that I never get to see. Yes, well, I, no, not necessarily from this, but just from having done a previous podcast before, mm. I, uh, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> I think we're back now. Um, I was bringing up the 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 next scene where um, the, well, I guess I, get, I was talking about how the Kraken, um, the first ship that takes down, it just completely pulls it underwater, never sticks its tentacles above the surface. You just see it disappear. <laughs> Uh-huh. Which I thought was pretty cool. The second one, its tentacles come up over the top and then gets pulled under. Mm-hmm. And then I think the third one is when they're fighting it on the Black Pearl. And for some reason, rather than just pulling the Black Pearl under like it did with the other ships um, and fighting it down there, it's it leaves the Black Pearl floating on the surface and then is just sticking its tentacles everywhere and smashing everything. And somehow they're able to lure it uh, will is able to lure it mm-hmm. um up to these powder kegs that they have in a a net yes i don't know why first of all how does the kraken hear him when he's calling to it i don't know also it seems to be able to see with its tentacles and be able to grab people because it's very very precise uh when it's the rest of its body is underwater Ooh. i just thought it was strange that Will was able to be like, hey, I'm up here. And then it just wraps all of its tentacles around him. It wasn't going for him. It was going for Jack. Yeah. So, I, you know, obviously it works well for the plot to have them be able to shoot all the tentacles with the uh, the cannons and then blow it up. And um, I guess this gets to the point where Jack left in a rowboat. Uh-huh. And so my thought on this was... I was thinking maybe Jack left to try to draw the Kraken away from the ship and save everybody, which I would have been happy with because that would have been a good turnaround for his character. But then you see him debating whether or not he should go back. So apparently that was another moment of weakness and he made the wrong decision. And then he decided to go back to the ship. He fires the shot that sets off the powder kegs, which is totally unrealistic because it's just a lead ball striking gunpowder. There's no way it would have ignited in wooden barrels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we'll just we'll just sweep that under the rug and pretend it would work. And then yeah, all the yeah. rum, I doubt... Alcohol is flammable, but I doubt it would go up like that, especially in such a condensed form. You'd have to have it in an aerosolized form to get it to actually burn. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, I thought that was all very, very odd how they did that, where Will was the one luring it up there. And the Kraken took forever to try to drag it under, and then it apparently had to go away to nurse its wounds before it came back again yeah. for the final time to take the ship down. Well, all right, so I have I have a couple of of thoughts on that, just sort of to explain the way that I 
watched through those scenes and like the way that it read to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the first ship that we see the Kraken take down is smaller than the other ships, which is why it just gets pulled mm-hmm. under immediately. I don't, okay. I don't like. I'm not looking at it on the movie right now, so I don't. But that like it seems like it was a smaller ship to me. I don't know. Okay. Um, and then like, yeah the 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 abilities of the Kraken are not well explored. Like, does it have to actually grab at the ship, or can it just sort of bash the hull from underneath and like sink it? Does it care? Is it like how smart is it actually? Like. Mm. <laughs> All of these questions that I do not understand. Though, as for why Will, it's able to hear Will, according to Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, Krakens have true sight of 120 feet, <laughs> so they can they can understand what's going on above the surface through their tentacles, hmm. which means nothing to the plot of this movie. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> hmm, okay. Well, at least we have a little bit of an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> as to how krakens work um do you suppose the kraken is somehow related to the watchers from the lord of the rings oh probably you know i think that they they're probably from the same family they get together on thanksgiving or something yeah probably i think they're cousins though because the watcher had a beak i'm pretty sure yeah we don't uh, really see the the kraken just has like teeth it yeah have... rings and rings of teeth which yeah. i thought it would have been cooler if it had a big beak that it could like grab the bottoms of ships with yeah that would probably be more effective honestly um, I've got some, I guess, final thoughts on the whole plot overall, but I did want to bring up a complaint. Where were our two comic relief British soldiers that we see in the other movies? But they come Especially back in the, the third movie. movie. Yeah, they're just completely absent from the second movie. Well, there's not a lot of Royal Navy in the second movie. They still could have made an appearance once well, or twice. Well, yeah, they could have. I'm just saying I miss the guys. I don't yeah, they're, they're very good. Um. All right. Any uh, any further thoughts on just those scenes specifically, See, or any other I'm... scenes you want to address before we go into? Oh, you wanted to talk more about the music of the Flying Dutchman. Well, yeah, I I want to get to that sort of in our wrap up. But like, I'm. Uh, yeah. You raise an interesting point about Jack and his rowboat. Like, I don't. I don't know for sure how the Kraken works, I suppose. Like, did he think that by going off in the rowboat he was saving everyone? Or is he trying to get away because he figures it'll go after the ship? Mm-hmm. Well, like, I thought he was maybe trying to get away to save everybody and lure it away. But then you see on his face where he's like, no, I made the wrong decision. Yeah, like back. he's he's going to the, to the land. But then his compass, mm-hmm. we don't actually get to see the compass, but we assume it's pointing back towards towards the Black Pearl. Hmm. I thought, based on his facial acting, that he looked at what he really wanted, but he made the decision to do the right thing and go back. Yeah, I suppose it could work either way. Like, either what he wants to do is save everyone, or what he wants is the land, but he doesn't follow that. Like, hmm. I've got a little bit more to say on that, but I want to do that kind of in a okay, wrap-up okay. of the overall plot. Um, I, I'll just throw out what I had to say about the organ of the Flying Dutchman. Hmm. I thought it was... Just it seemed kind of out of place to have this big bad guy with a giant organ that operates on air um, uh-huh. when he's this underwater creature. I did like that they gave him like four keyboards though because he can play with his like his right hand uh, and all of his tentacles. It's, it's so good though. I don't care if it's an organ that needs air. Maybe it like I don't know. It's a special magic organ that can play with water. <laughs> Maybe. What happens if you put an organ under water? 
Like, well, stuff wouldn't vibrate at the right frequencies, and it wouldn't make any sound. Oh. You sure it wouldn't just make a different sound? I'm sure it would make the sounds of water rushing through pipes. Oh. Well, maybe he only which, plays it when they're on the surface, then. Yeah. Which actually brings up another point, because... True to true to tradition, we're terrible at wrapping these things up and organizing things to go in the right places. Absolutely. Um, jumping back to the Flying Dutchman, mm-hmm. how much time do they spend underwater and how much time do they spend above water? Because I think Davy Jones is just known for being the king of the deep. Yeah. But they're above water the whole time when Will is on board before uh-huh. he is pledged himself to the Flying Dutchman, because, of course, he's got to <laughs> be able to breathe. Uh-huh. So that seemed rather convenient. And then, like I said, the organ, how's that going to work underwater? Yeah. Yeah. I liked that this brooding bad guy guess kind of had a way to express his innermost thoughts and his, his emotions, and you, you got to see more of what he was thinking mm-hmm. deep down, uh, especially with that little locket that plays the lullaby. Oh, yeah, yeah. The music music uh you know i always kind of assumed that they only go underwater for short periods like we see them do it as like a means of ambushing ships Hmm. but when they're just sort of sitting around they they sit on the surface because like you can't play liar's dice if you're underwater the stuff would float all over the place it'd be a disaster it's true true. so uh (laughs) i i don't know um I guess I thought they spent most of their time underwater because I've always thought of Davy Jones as being this guy that just gets to keep the people who have sunk mm-hmm. and he doesn't necessarily get to try to sink ships. He just gets to... Well, he's not supposed to, but, you know, he's he's sort of... Things are things are happening that concern him personally. Uh, yeah. So he's, he's having to take action instead of just sort of being the... And he's got the Kraken. Mm-hmm. That takes ships down for him, I guess. It does, sometimes. Um, He apparently needs a crew for his ship. Yeah. So when they attack these ships and they take no prisoners, why don't they just take some of those people as crew members? Well, they take a couple from that first ship that they take down. Hmm. I guess I don't remember that. Uh, the, the, just... the scene that where Will sneaks onto the ship that they think is the... Or that he thinks is the Flying Dutchman. He's He's doing his whole recruitment spiel for the... The sailors on that ship. Hmm, you're right. He was. Well, he was doing the Do You Fear Death, mm-hmm. yeah, and then he just ended up killing some people and keeping Will. I thought he kept one other guy. Hmm, maybe I mean, he he's not All like right. an important character. He's just some rando, but... <laughs> okay. Um, I guess my only other complaint with them staying above the surface is they just had so much skin that was designed to be underwater like the yeah. hammerhead shark and then yeah. all those barnacles and everything is just gonna dry out if you're above surface for too long i don't know maybe go they take, have some advanced hydration methods go take a swim yeah yeah maybe, maybe the bottom the lower decks are just constantly underwater hmm. all right we'll go with that so i think that's all i had on specific scenes and sets ah okay so the music in these movies there are two things I want to talk about. I want to split it up into two things. First of all, the way that the music um, during during the scenes, even sometimes with the dialogue, there's just sort of this this background music that emphasizes the action that's happening on screen. You'll have mm-hmm. like where, and it's just little things that I really should have written down, but 
whatever, where, you know, a character will be disappointed and the music follows that emotion or a character will fall off of something and the music follows that action. And it's mm. just these little, these little like sort of musical stings that mm. add to the, sort of the, the humor or the emotion of a scene. Yes, and I like that it's done in such a way that it's not telling you how to feel. Yes. It's just emphasizing the thing that happened. Yes. Because some movies just use the music to tell you how to feel because they're so poorly written and poorly acted, but this is not the case with this movie. No, and it's very subtle, and if you're not, like, paying attention to it, it's just part of the scene. You don't think about Mm. the music, you think about the scene, which I think is telling of, of good sort of design of the movie overall. But then the more active part of the music is that throughout the whole movie, it keeps tying back to the same sort of musical theme and song, but in in different ways. So the best example of this is with the locket that plays the lullaby. And it's Mm -hmm. the same song that Davy Jones is playing on his organ, but styled two different ways. And it, it has this interesting juxtaposition of this cute little like sort of lighthearted sounding song and then this very primal emotional song that Davy Jones is playing on his improbable organ <laughs> <laughs> and then you know it, and in different scenes and different locations you'll often have the same music but played differently in a different style or on different instruments or whatnot that really mm-hmm. gives the film a cohesiveness that's very good. And I don't actually know enough about music to really get into the nitty gritty. Uh, but it's, it sounds good. M- music sound good. Make happy. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, I, I must say I did like the, the theme music of the first movie better. It just mm. it gives you that feeling of just action and adventure. And yeah. usually what happens with sequels is they don't want to, you know, just, play the same music from the first movie so they just kind of riff on what was done in the first movie so Mm -hmm. i thought it kind of went off track a little bit there and it just wasn't as gripping to me but then like you were saying there was stuff added in like the organ music and the locket and things yeah i i I mean if i had to pick a favorite song from this trilogy like that that main theme that's so iconic is a strong contender it's probably my favorite song but you don't have to pick one because they still use that occasionally. And then they add in these other songs for different characters or different things. And it, it all sort of builds. And then by the time you get around to the third movie, there's just this this orchestra of different music that all sort of weaves together. And it's, I don't know, it's really mm. good. The soundtrack from this movie is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they definitely uh, spared no expense. Mm-hmm. Um all right. Anything else specific before we start to try to wrap this up? No, I think that's about it. Okay. So now I want to go back to Jack on the ship. Okay. Because, you know, okay, as we've said several times already on this episode, he left in the rowboat. And then yes, he decided he did. to come back for the mm-hmm. right reason. And Probably. he shoots the barrels and everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> shoots the barrels, everything explodes. Uh-huh. And then everybody is getting ready to leave the ship on the uh, rowboat. Uh huh. And Elizabeth comes up and starts kissing Jack and backs him up against the mast and uh-huh. then cuffs him to the mast. Uh-huh. Now, for years, I thought Jack had cuffed himself to the mast to keep himself from leaving or keep anybody else from trying to take him with him. Mm-hmm. But I realized Elizabeth cuffs him and then says, it's you that it's after, mm-hmm. not us. Mm-hmm. So she cuffs him there to keep the rest of themselves safe. Yes. 
and Jack is like, oh, well, yeah, I see what you did there, and I guess I don't blame you, but uh, uh-huh. he still clearly wants to get away. And yeah, I just, oh, it it bothers me. I think that would have been a nice turning point for his character if Jack had cuffed himself, well, like I had always thought. Here's the way I look at it, right? So doing it this way, if you look at the scene as a whole, allows for multiple characters to share interesting moments in this one scene because jack you see him sort of standing there like running his hand over the 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 flying or the the black pearl and like contemplating something he he, there's no verbal like lines that he says but from his body language and his like facial acting i personally think he was about to make the decision to stay entirely on his own if he wanted to leave, he'd have been on the shit, like the the boats, getting ready to leave. But instead, he's like standing up there by himself. And so I think that we still get to see Jack make that decision. And he already made the decision to come back, like when he was out yeah. on the rowboat. So mm-hmm. we still get that. But we also get to have Elizabeth make this decision to sacrifice Jack in order to get away, <laughs> which kind which of becomes a really big plot point in the third movie. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I uh, I because it, remember it really remember deeply influences both the interactions between her and Jack for the rest of the movies, <laughs> and between her okay. and Will because okay. Will sees this exchange happening, and my just favorite thing about movies where we have these big long in- conflicts based on misunderstandings of partial information about a scene. Anyway, <laughs> I know you love those. So oh much. yeah, it makes me so happy. It's such a great. Yeah, well, idea. it's frustrating when it's due to lack of communication. But mm-hmm. here, it's not that they just didn't talk to each other. He actually saw something going on. And he's like, "Oh man." Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but he doesn't talk to it because she's like, "Well, you know, I was kissing him so I could handcuff him to the mast." There, problem mm-hmm. solved. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess I didn't think she necessarily knew that he saw so she didn't think she needed to explain because she said well right. jack decided to stay behind to give mm-hmm. us a chance to get away so she's giving him credit for it even though he didn't actually do it well because she doesn't want to admit to everyone that she just handcuffed the captain to the mast i think yeah. is the... <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, a good point yes <laughs> but like will never never says why he's all of a sudden like really cold to her he's just like mm-hmm. I'm angry now and I'm not going to tell you why. And it's because he, yeah, it's, I guess uh, I need to watch uh, number three. And uh, again, apologize for not having done this um, in preparation, but um, we don't see the two of them together much more before the movie. No, there's just the scene in Tia Dalma's hut where everybody's kind of very emotional and there's all sorts of things and emotions happening Mm -hmm. and the best Um, character comes back. (laughs) oh yes man i i do like barbosa as a character but i hate it when movies bring people back to life because it's such an improbable thing just people don't just come back to life it has to be done very well and there are skillful ways to bring people back to life Mm -hmm. um i constantly refer back to the lord of the rings because gandalf died and came back to life but it was already pre-set up in the rules of that world that that's how it would work anyway We'll have to talk about that more later. Um, yeah, also because uh, clearly Jack comes back to life after being eaten by a kraken. So mm-hmm. Maybe for our 10 subscriber special, we'll do Lord of the Rings. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, boy, 10 subscribers. I don't think we'll It'll ever get there. It'll be years from now. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll have yeah. time. 
we'll have to take it. So obviously we're going to do the extended edition. So I think we just take it an hour at a time. Oh gosh. And so it'll be stretched out over 12 That's episodes. 12 episodes of content. That sounds perfect. So I guess kind of closing here. Yes. I have a question for you. So who was the protagonist of this film? Mm. And who was the antagonist? Mm. Because Jack is responsible for so many deaths. <laughs> he you're very, bartered you're with very right. Davy Jones to bring the Black Pearl back to the surface. Mm-hmm. And then because he is trying to run away from his responsibilities, he's trying not to, I guess he's pledged himself to the, the Black yeah. Pearl. Yeah. He's trying to get away. And because of that, the Kraken takes down several ships so many killing people. all those people mm-hmm. there's just several hundred people that die in these movies because of jack's selfishness it's true because i think jack is supposed to be the protagonist but mm, i don't know well don't ja- okay so so jack <laughs> is the protagonist in 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 as much as he's the character whose story we follow the most mm, yeah yeah um but a larger theme with these movies is that our protagonists are not always good people <laughs> Yeah. Um, and actually, I'm waiting for, for the third movie to talk about this because I want to talk about Norrington as a character a lot more once we see the end of his arc in the third movie. Um, but that's that's for later. You'll have to tune in next time. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting because our main characters are the people we're rooting for, but they're not necessarily great people. Like, you could very easily have mm-hmm. this movie be told from the point of view of, like, Norrington. Or, you yeah. know, Beckett and, and the pirates are the bad guys and they're trying to hunt them mm-hmm. down. And uh, so <laughs> uh, I think yeah, that... Yeah, I guess that was maybe a poor way to phrase it. But yeah, I guess who's the good guy and who's the bad yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if anything, like, because Will makes some, some sketchy decisions too. Mm-hmm. Not, not as much in this one, but he definitely... And like, Elizabeth is mostly just out to to get Will back. Nobody's really blameless in these movies. <laughs> no. Um if any yeah, yeah, there there are there are no heroes, only protagonists. <laughs> That's uh yeah, good point. So yeah, you bring up Will and mm-hmm. he's I don't know what's supposed to be going on there because he's trying to get the compass. Mm-hmm. That's what he sets out for. Yes. To get a pardon for Jack. But right. it's very clearly stated in the movies that he and Elizabeth are still not going to be pardoned. Yeah. So they're still going to die, but he's still trying to save Jack instead of his fiance and himself. Well, I think that his plan is to obtain, uh, as the movies constantly call it, leverage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> through getting the compass and then working out a deal with Beckett. Like, I don't think that he's necessarily the care. I don't think the character has really fully fleshed out this plan because mm-hmm. Will is very much just a man of action. He doesn't really think before doing things a lot of the time. Yeah. That's um, so I think it's true. true to his character that he's like sort of given a, a goal and he just sort of sets off to do that without mm-hmm. really thinking it through. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess this leads into the, the question, who is your favorite character? Ooh, I don't know. That's a that's a progressively harder decision to make. <laughs> mm. So in the first movie, I said Jack. In the second yes. movie, I think it was Elizabeth because she uh, wasn't 
as useless as she was in the first movie. She actually no. did a lot of fighting and was very useful mm-hmm. to the movie, uh, to the plot, and you know took action when she needed to. She ended up fighting lots of bad guys. Um, but also, she was out to save Will, her mm-hmm. fiancé, the person close to her who she is responsible for taking care of as will should have been doing like you said it, it was true to his character to take action and maybe he hadn't fully fleshed out the plan but yeah. did intend to yeah you know save her in the end but as it was set up neither uh-huh. of them were getting pardons he was just trying to save jack i don't know she <laughs> seemed like the the person with the least blood in her hands at the end of the movie it's true the, elizabeth I think, I think is the best person in these movies like she's mm. She's the most morally upstanding individual in these movies. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, compared to the first one, morals-wise, but just I liked yeah. what what her character was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first ones, you could say that she was the most moral character just because she didn't really do much of anything. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in these ones, she was actually taking action and trying to fight for the, the right thing. Yeah, so. well, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm mostly speaking the movies as a whole. Like, if you had to assign okay. everyone a score of how good mm. they were, <laughs> I think that, like, other than maybe some very minor characters, I think Elizabeth is probably the winner of that uh, competition. Mm. She also just becomes a better character e- each movie that goes on. Like, I like her more in every progressive movie. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, I can Just... only speak for these two because it's been a while since I've seen the others. So we'll have to talk about that next time. So my um... favorite character. Mm-hmm. So like Jack is the most entertaining. You, you watch Pirates of the Caribbean movies so that you can watch Jack Sparrow and how yeah. people react to Jack Sparrow. But as a character, I don't know. I think that this movie is the least interesting for Jack. Like, as far as his character, he he ha- he learns, like, one thing, he grows in one way, and it's not real compelling. Like, so, I think I'd have to say, and this is a bit foreshadowing as to the third movie, but I, I can't sort of separate the two of them anymore because I've seen both movies. Uh, but I think that uh, Commodore, or former Commodore Norrington might be my favorite character mm. just because of how interesting his journey through these movies is and i really wish almost i don't know it would have to be a separate movie because i wouldn't want to take anything away from the way the movies are right now but it would be very interesting to see the events of these movies from his perspective mm. because he has a very interesting journey and like i sort of like i was you know alluding to before how our main characters are not good people. It'd be interesting to see the whole thing through the lens of Norrington, who who thinks he's doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think in the first movie, for sure, he was doing the right thing. He was trying to catch a dangerous criminal. Yeah, who was yeah, terrorizing absolutely. The seas, so, and then he sort of loses his way in this movie because the world conspires to ruin him, and so he's just <laughs> he's out he's out for himself to try and get back at what he has lost and then in the third movie he sort of realizes the fallout of that decision because we see at the end of this movie he hands off the heart of davy jones to cutler beckett who will be our protag- mm. our antagonist for the third movie um mm. so yeah i don't know uh, it's either norrington or like if i'm allowed to pick davy jones as a villain he's so good 
<laughs> yeah, just favorite character, good yeah. guy or bad guy. Uh, I, I like all the scenes with, with Davy Jones in them. He has such a presence on the screen, which is really impressive uh, on the part of all the other actors because they had to react to a man in gray pajamas as if he was a very imposing <laughs> octopus face man. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if you If you want a good laugh, just look up pictures online of the set of these movies where... You have yeah. all of these, all of these sailors from the Flying Dutchman who are just sort of confused-looking dudes in in gray pajamas because they haven't had the uh, the scary fish makeup and whatnot edited onto them. Mm. Yes, yes, <laughs> very good. All right, um, what was your favorite scene? Oh. And I should say. Yeah, you started this in our first episode. Did you rip that off from somewhere that we should give credit for? Well, uh, yeah. I, I, I somewhat, I was inspired by the Loading Ready Run uh, watch through podcast of all the James Bond movies. They wrapped up their their reviews with like a a Bond moment of the movie and whatnot, and so mm. I suppose it's loosely adapted from that. Okay, just thought um, we should give credit to whoever you got it from. Yeah, because I think it's good, and I'd like to continue <laughs> using it. But yeah, my favorite scene in this movie has got to be the sword fight on the beach between Norrington, mm-hmm. Will, and, and Jack. It's there's there's a lot of character and story told without very much dialogue. And and Elizabeth throwing herself down on the sand and pouting about how everyone <laughs> hauls out their swords and starts banging away at each other is perhaps the funniest moment of the movie. That um, is one of my favorite quotes. Let's just pull out our swords and start banging away at each other. That will solve everything. <laughs> oh, it's it's a wonderful scene. That that's that that's my favorite. It's not a particularly hard choice this week. Mm. I I think mine is the water wheel scene, the, the sword fight on the water wheel, mm, mm-hmm. uh, especially after it uh, captures Jack when he stands up out of the grave, and then just from then on out, it's just a, such a funny scene mm-hmm. and so well shot, as we discussed earlier. Yes, it gets brought into several other scenes, like it carries through uh, the the fight scene between Elizabeth Pantel and Rigetti and the bad yeah. guys, the the other the other baddies. Um, these just... these movies have a good way of of keeping track of action happening in multiple locations and then having it all mm. sort of cross with e- itself. Yes, and yes. yeah, <laughs> it all it all ties together at some point. Mm-hmm. So that was my favorite scene. And <laughs> any closing remarks? Uh, do Do you recall the uh, the the short little little bit with the the Davy Jones crew member who has sort of like a hermit crab for a head who gets his head knocked clean off mm, and uh-huh. and his head is shouting to his body to follow his <laughs> voice yep. and that just kills me because that is good and then he runs into a tree and he's right. like no that's, that's a, tree. a tree yeah it's it's only like 6 seconds it's dumb physical comedy there's no deeper meaning or any story it just i just it's so dumb and i laugh at it every time <laughs> that 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 is a good scene because it's and, like uh, he's we, he's we shouting to a family. body that doesn't have ears like he has yep. the ears attached to him he <laughs> yep. <sighs> anyway i thought that was good as well i thought we should bring that up <laughs> well thanks for listening and tune in next week uh, i'm not sure if we're going to do another parts of the caribbean episode or if we're going to sprinkle something else in but uh stay I fi- tuned i figure we should skip uh, to the fifth movie then come back to the third movie and oh. then do the fourth movie because that would make the most sense 
tell it all out of order, huh? Yeah. No, we definitely there won't we do that. I just have to try. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and tune in next time. <laughs>